It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. The United States seal the United Cup. Djokovic delights the fans in Adelaide. And Coco Goff dominates in Auckland to capture her third singles tour title. Kim, Chris, today is the 9th of January and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. It is a new season on the tour. 2023 is here. And of course, it's a new season for the Tennis Weekly podcast. And we are official. We are officially a three-person show. Joel, Kim and Chris are here. And we're ready to talk about some tennis. We've got the Australian Open as well to look forward to. So, yeah, we it's it's been... There's been a lot that's happened already, hasn't there, guys? I feel like we had the shortest of, of off-seasons where I've just about had a breather and now we are just like fully back into the thick of it tennis never sleeps it never ever stops even in the off season (laughs) and uh it doesn't even feel like it has a christmas break no well everyone's off playing you know exhibitions and and whatnot and it just yeah it's, it's literally never ending i mean i can't believe it's 2023 and um well i hope everyone had a good new year's but it doesn't feel <laughs> like a new year because it doesn't seem to have stopped <laughs> we had more of an off season than the players did i think because we've been we've been off since start of december and i mean they've been playing every week some of them throughout the whole mm. of the off season picking up the checks from the exhibitions but did you watch? I watched some of it, but not only the highlights. How bothered are you by uh, all these events that happen outside the tour season, all these sort of exhibition style events? I mean, for, personally, from my point of view, I'm just like so almost like exhausted from how, you know, how much tennis goes on in the regular tour season. I genuinely just need a break and need to kind of shut off before the new seasons begin. So, you know, I might watch it, a YouTube highlight here or there, still kind of keep some updates going on on Twitter but I don't really get too involved in in what goes on I think in in December are you what, what's your kind of approach when when the off season happens I think exhibitions are better for people who are actually there in person where it's you know mm. a bit of a laugh because you know they're not they're not serious they're not um really a, a big indicator I would say of, of form or anything so Personally, I don't really tune in that much to to exhibitions. Uh, I know some people were a bit ambivalent about the one that was out in in Saudi Arabia, was it? But um, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know what Chris. What, where's your sort of thought process on on exhibitions? I know, I know, yeah. I, I can picture you staying up in the middle of the night just to watch them. Still, <laughs> I have to say, straight in there, Kim. I straight like in there. Did I, did I stay up to watch Kim Clijsters versus Leila Fernandez in Orlando <laughs> on the 4th of December <laughs> to watch Kim Clijsters roll back the clock and win seven games to five over the 20-year-old? Absolutely. 
I'm actually, I will be disappointed if the answer is no. I was, I was basically there. I mean, I was tempted to book a flight, but um, I decided I'd just stream that one. But no, I, I watched some of it. Um, I like to see, you know, a bit of a shocking result, like when um, Sasha took out Djokovic um, mm. in one of those matches. I like a surprising result, but I wouldn't necessarily um, catch all of it. I think we all need a little bit of a break to get our excitement levels back up and now they are sky high ahead of this season <laughs> but joel i remember during the christmas period you were talking to us about uh the world tennis league mm. and uh you you were having a bit of a nightmare trying to you were actually watching a bit of it weren't <laughs> he you, was you a bit of a nightmare. Like, if, if there was one event i was watching or trying to watch i think is probably a better statement <laughs> it was the world tennis league in dubai because uh, I don't know if, if our listeners were, were following this event at all, but um, it was certainly my highlight of the off season because, you know, it was I thought, you know, had a great list of players. Yes, they were probably there for the, the paycheck, but had a great, great set of players. And, you know, it brought some really interesting doubles partnerships uh, to the court. And, you know, this team aspect, the marketing was great. Uh, I thought, you know, it could be, you know, it could be a nice, nice little event. And then I started watching it and... <laughs> On, on the court, the court colour combination is probably the most shocking colour court combination uh, I think I've seen on a tennis court. They combined, or, or they thought an orange court and yellow tennis balls would be a great idea. And if you try and watch it, um, try and watch some highlights, just try and tell me where the tennis ball is, because it was, it was, it was genuinely baffling how they had arrived at this decision to be like, right, we're going to put this event on. We want it to go as global as possible. So we're going to need people glued to the TV to watch it. Mm. Let's make the most difficult <laughs> like combination of, of colours on a tennis court imaginable. Um, yeah, for, for viewers uh, to just, yeah, just <laughs> like just struggle to find the ball. Yeah, if they'd had a blue court with an orange background, fine. But yeah, mm. really interesting decision by the... Uh, tournament organizers there you love a court controversy don't you joel i feel like naples you've got the orange court here well it did it did remind me of naples but i think this was worse i think this was worse than naples and i just worse think than naples yeah, well, yeah i genuinely well, if you can't you see the ball that's pretty sport. bad yeah 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 if you can't see the well, sport that you're playing easy it can't have been easy for the players i feel to play on on a court like this and i you know if it does happen again next year Surely they're going to have to change the court colour because, um, yeah, I feel like I wasn't the I wasn't the only one uh, talking about this, but it did, I think, provide a bit of lighthearted humour over the uh, yeah over the off season. Well, quite a lot happened over the off season, didn't it? Because we've had uh, various things, you know, Boris Becker's out of prison, uh, Emma Raducanu who's got a new coach. <laughs> Kim, Boris Becker's out of prison and already into a commentary gig for for the Australian Open. Yeah, I don't particularly agree with that myself. I feel like they, they've just sort of ignored the fact that he, uh, mm. well, committed a crime and was, uh, and you know, did lie about for it. it. Yeah, mm. and I'm like, there are better pundits than uh, I, I'd agree Taurus with that. Bender anyway. Mm, Do we need him back so soon? Like, surely there are other options, but that's uh, par for the course. Uh, um, Chris, what was your highlight from the off season? Um, did you have a particular moment you enjoyed? Yeah, I remember I shared this on our WhatsApp as well. It was um, between Christmas and New Year, there was this really lovely story um, about a 
a meeting of um, the British Iranian citizen who was detained over in Iran, Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe. And what was really interesting about this story is that uh, in, 2000, in 2016, she was in solitary confinement in Iran and she was able to watch two channels on a TV that she was given and one of them had sports on and Wimbledon was on. And so she talked about the fact that um, watching Andy Murray on his title run gave her so much hope. Um, and it's one of those really kind of wonderful stories. And you think you always uh, talk about the impact that sports can have, but for someone in the situation that she found herself in, it obviously meant an awful lot to her. And um, what was nice about this is that they got to meet, um, but also that we got some of our classic Murray tears. Um, he definitely had a bit of a voice wobble um, on Radio 4 for this one. But was he shades of that far... Wimbledon, Wimbledon yeah. ceremony when he lost to Roger Federer? Yeah, and Sue Barker didn't hug him, but um, <laughs> she shouldn't have. They would have been unprofessional. But um, what was really nice is that he said it was the most incredible story uh, that he's ever been told about someone watching him play tennis and that nothing's ever come close to it and that she's made him feel so much more grateful for everything that he's got. So I thought that was super nice and kind of two worlds colliding that mm. you wouldn't have uh, known about. But... Um, it shows you the power of the sport. So a little bit of an inspiring story um, and a bit of a kind of heartwarming story um, from me. Slightly, slightly um, deeper than the colour of the court, Joel. But um, <laughs> yeah. what about you, we, Kim? <laughs> we cover all depths at the podcast here. Um, yeah, we do. Well, no, I mean, that's a very heartwarming story. I, I can't really top that. But um, I think my my sort of highlight of the off season was our crowdfunder, actually, because... Oh, that's um, a good one. We have held our what's this our third crowdfunder now, and mm. I think we've smashed our target. Um, we've had nineteen lovely, lovely listeners and supporters contribute. Um, we've raised a total of nine hundred and twenty pounds over the course of the crowdfunder. So we're all just so chuffed here, aren't we, at the amount of support that's come in? So just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who contributed and supported because. You know, this really helps us put on the show um, and continue to to do what we love doing, which is bringing Tennis Weekly um, to all our listeners and beyond. So massive thank you. Here, here. And actually, I mean, spoiler alert to our listeners, I, I've already delved into the, the crowdfund bank account and I've bought some new sound effects for Path for the Courts in the second half. Well, that makes it all worthwhile. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we just lost the heartwarming there. Um, <laughs> I think I'm... Um, I've genuinely I spent so long about thinking what sound effects could we use to I just get better quality ones. So I'm really as I said, I'm I'm looking Something forward to, look forward to, kind to of showing them later off in the show. In the second half. Yeah. I mean, yes, we're gonna be talking about like the Australian Open and all the events <laughs> this week, but definitely watch out for the the sound effects that I uh yeah, that are, that are coming. Money well spent. <laughs> That's just one of many things that the crowdfund is going towards. It's not purely for Joel's uh, guilty pleasure <laughs> of sound effects. But yeah, massive thank you to everyone who supported. Uh, we are chuffed a bit. And that Absolutely. was so nice to see over the off season. Um, and here we are ready for another season of Tennis Weekly 2023. Here we go. So I think to to start off, we've, we've got to kind of crack on with, with the, the tennis news from the last week. Um very excitingly, we had the very first edition of the United Cup, which uh, basically kind of the Hopman Cup 
uh, rebranded, rejigged. Um, but we had the, the inaugural winners of the United Cup was very aptly named the United States. Um, he beat Italy in the final four rubbers to um, love. Um, we had Taylor Fritz uh, getting that final uh, victory, the third rubber to, to clinch it for the United States over Matteo Berrettini in two tie breaks. And we had uh, wins for Jesse Pagula, uh, Madison Keys and uh, TFO through a, um, a withdrawal Retirement from Rossetti. Rossetti. Yeah, mm. I mean, so this is the first edition of this cup. Um, what did you both make of it? I mean, for, what did you make of the United States? Um, what did you make of the format generally? Joel, kick us off. What were your first impressions of yeah. this? You know, it was really interesting. I think everyone was obviously really excited, um, you know, for this event. Um, you know, Rafa was there. You know, Sviontek was there. I think Sviontek actually was one of the success stories of the week, or, or specifically her partnership with Hubert Hercage in the in the mixed doubles. But um, as it went on, I yeah, I got I feel like more and more confused about sort of what was going on. You know, had ties that were occurring mm. over two days. The mixed doubles was the the last tie, and it in, and often the case was it not being uh, significant uh, in, in the tie, which was con- which sort of confused me because, you know, we talked about this event as a sort of replacement to the, the Hopman Cup where, you know, the, the mixed doubles was a real, I think, kind of centrepiece for that. Whereas for here, because it was that sort of fifth rubber, it just sort of felt it, it was put to kind of one side. So for me, that was a little bit of an issue. And then the other issue was, I just felt, again, the although we got some really good kind of matchups, particularly, I think, with the... You know the the first men's player versus the you know it, it, of the countries play, playing each other, but that second male player, we had some really budget matchups. I feel like maybe not even tour level matchups, maybe even kind mm. of more challenger tour matchups. And I think there was too much of a quality difference. I think between some of the matchups, and although we got some high you know profile names there, we also got I think a lot of matches that you know just didn't feel maybe that high profile and that compelling maybe to a to a fan you know going to the event do you think it would work better if it was like the old hotman cup where you just had two for each country rather than trying to Mm. have a larger team i don't know i think for me certainly i think they need to rethink that mixed doubles I i feel like it needs to be in the middle somehow and you know making sure that it's like part of the live situation and it's not because you know at some points it just wasn't played because it was you know it didn't it didn't mean anything which was i think a shame because as i said i think that the best moments as i said like hubert hercage and Igor fiontek on, on a tennis court it really kind of brought noise and atmosphere and good vibes i think to the to the tournament but it was just a shame we didn't i don't think we got got enough of those I'd be inclined to agree. I think um, that's something that Nadal talked about the format as well, that it would also be better if matches weren't sort of, not necessarily um, uh, dead in the sense before uh, players have sort of played. It was a similar thing with the Billie Jean King Cup where that can happen. I mean, he knew that when he played, they played Australia, that neither of them were mm. going to be going through from the group stages. And so it was obviously he's play- well, he wants practice, he's playing. But as you say, the mixed doubles is where people really suffer. Like Nadal and Bedosa aren't going to turn up on a mixed double call if they're already eliminated from the competition. Yeah, and it, it was a shame because cause I think Rafa said, like, if it was a live match, I would have played it. But because it wasn't, I, you know, I, I'm not going to risk stepping out on the court for a match that is ultimately pointless. I think that's a problem with all these um, team and mixed events. So there's always 
tends to be that that dead rubber issue, um, Mm. which is a shame for fans who are there live and tuning in from home wanting to see these sort of critical matches. But that's just the way it goes. Um, But I mean, in terms of of the winners that we had, um, what did you make of the team, you know, USA's Mm. performance? They did very well. I think they only lost two rubbers throughout the entire tournament. So very dominant kind of from the word go. Um, They did lose a rubber to, I think, GB, didn't they? Um, so what did you make of, of them as a team winning the winning the title? I mean, it was very impressive. It's a very big turnaround from their performance at team events at the end of last year. where yeah. Davis Cup. Well, and the Billie Jean King Cup. It was an absolute mess, wasn't it, for them in terms of selection, in terms of um, the whole uh, performance, given how great the players are that play for that country. So... I think there's something about them all playing together that almost gave it like a a college tennis sort of atmosphere for them. They were definitely the team who was having almost the most fun. I guess it's a lot more fun when when you're winning every match, um, at least 4-1 or 5-0. But from that team, standout performances have to be from Pagula with that 6-2-6-2 win over um, Iga, where Iga was in tears at the end of that one. And um, there are pictures of her under the towel where Agnieszka Radwanska is kind of comforting her. But I mean... I think a lot of people have said with Pagula that maybe she doesn't have that sort of um, that magic game or that extra star quality um, or to play lights out tennis, but she really did. And it was such precision on her shots and such depth of shot making that I think when it comes to what we're looking at this season, I think you can't um, count her out from potentially getting a Grand Slam in this next year. Well, I I was going to ask that. Do you think think that win against Sviontek announces her as a Grand Slam contender for the upcoming Australian Open? Team events are very different, I would say. I think there's a, a level of being relaxed in those. Obviously, that you did get points mm. and there was prize money for this, which is quite nice and it's extra incentive for players to be there. But it is very different when it comes to, um, you know, playing in the later rounds of a Grand Slam semi-final versus playing a semi-final of the United Cup, you know, as the, the third rubber being played. Um and you already are up 2-0 or whatever it would be. I'm not saying that was the score at the time, but I think it shows really positive signs, but it's very different when you're doing it as an individual sport. And should we be worried about Iga Sriontek having, you know, the fact that she was crying after that defeat? Um, is there anything sort of wider going on with her, like in the run-up to the AO? Should, are you are either of you concerned? Chris, are you concerned about Iga? Well, I'm a little bit concerned, I think, because it is one where she she isn't, the eager that we saw um, when she was kind of dominating um, in the middle of last season and especially around when she was playing in the US on hard courts because she did, she had a few losses that were um, a little bit sort of surprising. She lost to Rybikina in the off season um, and that was, I think that was six love, six four. That was really um, a very dominant display um, there. And then obviously she lost to Pagula. So I think, there are score lines that we wouldn't have expected to see. And I think the way that she's responded to it is a bit unusual, you know, when it comes to, um, yeah, when it comes to a world number one, I think it's perfectly fine to express your emotion. Um, but seeing her kind of being destroyed sort of twice in sort of two weeks, um, oh, sorry, it was six, three, six, one, um, in that match, uh, against Rybikina, but seeing her lose only win four games, you know, that's, that's not the ego that we saw, most of last season mm. it'd be hard to to keep that form up that we did see most of last season so perhaps this is a natural kind of uh, you know tail off from that 
Yeah, I think it's it's you know it's she's shown I think that she I guess is is human and you know there's also I think a big you know expectation on her. I mean, you think about the number of, of points that she's you know got to like defend this season. Um, I think we're still obviously very early on in the season and it's hard to read kind of too much into it. But you know, if we're talking about you know Pagula and and Shviontek being up there as some of the favourites for you know the Australian Open uh, crown in, in a couple of weeks, then I certainly think this gives Pagula confidence that oh yeah um, will help her potentially if if we get to a, a potential you know showdown in in a few weeks time in Melbourne. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just looking at other players who had had a great week, uh, you know, Stefano Sitsipas, he was unbeaten. Uh, you know, in all his singles matches. Um, we had, you know, good performances by by Greece generally, Poland getting to the semi-finals, and obviously the Italian players in the final. Um, one player perhaps a bit of concern over is is Rafa. You know, he lost both of his oh, uh, singles. How are you feeling about that, Kim? Well, I know everyone was like WhatsApping me, going, Oh, he hasn't <laughs> won a match, you know, is does this mm. mean he's definitely not uh defending his Australian open title? Um Quite possibly, yes, it does mean that. I mean, he lost to Cam Norrie and Alex de Menor from a setup each time. So quite frustrating, and especially that Alex de Menor match, 7-5 mm. in the third. But I think this is all part of Rafa just getting up to speed and playing his way into things. So I'm not sort of, you know, immediately um, super concerned, but I would like to see him obviously getting the wins. And I feel maybe he should have played uh, one of the other events maybe Mm. you know instead of the cup but I think it's nice I think you know he wanted to play the team event and be there and represent his country yeah it was a hard um you start for him from the season I mean to be honest it was it it was a tough end to the season uh in in 2022 and it's sort of picking up a little bit where he left off unfortunately and there's going to be I think I have no doubt, you know, coming into a a Grand Slam, uh, you know, the champion that he is, defending champion that he is, that he's going to pick up his tennis. Best of five is a completely different environment. But I do agree. And I do wonder if playing a 250 maybe would have made more sense where he's not going in cold to playing, you know, players like Cam Norrie and Alex de Menor, you know, top top 10 there or thereabouts players I mean I think Cam Norrie for me was one of the standout um, singles players uh, on the men's side from the week along with uh, Taylor Fritz as well so Mm. um, you know I don't think there's too much you know to be disheartened about if you kind of look at his form but yeah I I do wonder if you know the allure of it obviously was it's a new event I know he's probably been there done that with everything versus kind of playing a 250 but um, yeah it was uh, yeah a little bit disappointing I feel if probably if you're a Rafa fan yeah um but yeah great great on the cam nori front uh definitely positive going into um mm. the ao where we'd love to see him go deep um again at a slam um i mean talking of potential candidates for the win at the australian open <laughs> we obviously have to talk about a certain novak djokovic who <laughs> is very much back in australia without any controversy uh without what happened last year, which uh, we don't really want to talk about. <laughs> we spent enough time talking about that at the time. It was uh, the scenes were, you know, just looking back, just crazy in hindsight, really, um, what went down. So he's very much in Australia. He's very <laughs> much back to winning ways. <laughs> he's in Australia. We can confirm. He has arrived. <laughs> he has arrived. He has won. He has won the Adelaide International, which is the 250 event. Um, and he won that, yeah, a bit, bit of a, tough final there with Seb Corder 
you know, two time Ma- breaks. Yeah, match point down. Um, going to a third, which Djokovic clinched six four. Um, you know, he fought his way through the week, you know, had sort of a different different quality of opponents, I suppose, as the week went on, we should say. But got wins over Korda, over Medvedev, Shapovalov. Um, Joel, what did you make of Djokovic's week in Adelaide? Yeah, I mean, I was just more interested to see how the fans were were going to react to him, and and again, looking on the the Adelaide kind of socials, the the reaction was overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive. Um, it just seems like he was like some sort of disciple. I feel like just walking <laughs> around the event, everyone was loving it, and they were like, "Oh my God, Novak Djokovic is here! We love you, Novak Djokovic!" And um, you know, he had a great. I think you know, he had a fantastic week. I think, yes, um, you know, I think he he you know started off well, straight sets victories, had a good win over Shapovalov. I thought he was going to be tested a little bit more from from Medvedev um, in the semi-finals. You know, had a fantastic they had a fantastic match, um, you know, last year in, in Kazakhstan, which unfortunately ended in like a retirement by by Medvedev. And I wondered if it was going to be at that level. So I was maybe a little bit kind of surprised he wasn't tested further there. But you know, I think to get that test from Korda in the final who was playing a very high level which as a Murray fan gives me confidence in that in that defeat from the, the first round but the fact that I think he got that test in the final I just think worryingly for most other fans I think puts him in a really good place going into uh, you know an event that he knows so well has performed so well at in the past and you know for me I, I'm not almost like that interested in his performances at the moment again I'm just interested in what the reaction is going to be because the reaction in Adelaide I felt was just like overwhelmingly positive we love you is it going to be the same in Melbourne I I don't know I'm not I'm not I'm not sure at the moment Chris were you surprised that Djokovic even played this event because I think historically he hasn't played the pre-AO kind of smaller events but do you think this is all part of maybe rebuilding that brand image in Australia to get himself out there, just to test what the reaction You want to take the, the sting out of the, exactly, you want to take the sting out of it before you get to Melbourne because those crowds could definitely be a little bit more on the, um, yeah. I'd say the difficult side at times. Um, but <laughs> like I think, that crazy I mean, drunk lady for that in that Rafa match. Oh. <laughs> there are <well>. characters um, <laughs> down under. But uh, I was thinking more when they were grunting with Sabalenka that year. Um, mm. Every time she the ball, they've done it with Sharapova, I think, as well. Um, they're, they're not afraid to, to make some noise. But I, I think with the reaction, I think people want to move past it. I don't think it, as we said, made Australia look particularly good on the international stage. I don't think it was good for anyone in that situation. Um, so I think... To be honest, I think, as we said, like a bit like what Kim said, I think we're just all done talking about it. And yeah. let's talk about the tennis. Except, unless you're Joel, who's here for the, the gossip <laughs> of it. You know, he's like, how would he be received the next time well, he plays? I'm not, I'm but not, I know. I'm not trying to like stir I like the tennis things that aren't there. You know? <laughs> yeah, it is. It is funny because it's like, you know, it's a new season you know, new leaf. But, you know, at the same time, you know, this this week, we're already kind of seeing that the likelihood is Djokovic won't mm. be able to play in the United States again. Um, you know, we've got the Sunshine Double coming up. Doesn't look like he's going to be able to to make it into mm. um, America for that. So there's still, you know, that, that like sort of hangover there. It's not just like, we can forget of what's happened in the past. It's still kind of lingering about. But yeah, maybe in, in Australia, it does feel like they're welcoming him back with open arms. And he is still only there because of the change in government and the immigrate, the new immigration minister, you know, kind of 
revoking that that ban so it's still you know Mm. you still have to rely on certain factors to be able to play in Australia this season um just before we move on to to the women's event Seb Corder you know really great performance almost got the title Mm. um he struggled a lot with injury last year you know we haven't seen him back to to kind of this this form I would say in a while um so high hopes for the AO for yeah for Mr. Corder there? Any, I think anything high hopes in generally for United States. I mean, mm. given how well they did in, in the United Cup with... I, I, I think Taylor Fritz is going to have a... I feel like Taylor Fritz could be a dark horse for, for the Australian Open Ooh. to go far. Yeah, think? I think Tiafo yep. as well. I think Corder. Mm. I think they've got a really good group of male players there that could, you know, could go deep, I think, in, in the Australian Open. I think Corda, I think he will be seeded, but I definitely think he's going to be a player not many people are going to want to face. And, you know, watching the match against Djokovic, his double-handed backhand, when they were trading cross-court, I think it's, for me, it's one of the few, he's one of the few players where I look at his double-handed backhand, I think he's just, it's just very, very solid. It's something he else, is trade. It? Yeah, with the very best um, in the business, um, you know, from the back of the court. So, yeah, I think he's going to be a danger to watch out for. His weight of shot really surprised me in terms of just how much Djokovic had uh, the time taken away from him. I've never seen Djokovic sort of almost like bunt the ball back, not even having time to swing and just kind of using some of the pace on that. And I think it's some of the best defending I've ever seen Djokovic do. I think he might be, you know, in his sort of 36th, yeah, but he's certainly moving and, and playing a much more um, uh, defensive and a very impressive defensive game than some of the, the the younger players on the tour. So he's not making it easier for himself by kind of taking on the ball um, and kind of playing more aggressively. I think this one was like a masterclass in defensive play um, and perseverance. One thing I was going to say on this one was um, he did lose his cool a bit, which was a bit surprising. And he, didn't he send his brother out of the box and one of his agents? So... <laughs> I think it's um, it's Did interesting. Watch it too I, much I, Daniel Medvedev. I, well, maybe. I mean, this is a new trend, right? <laughs> Get them out of your box. I mean, uh, Stefanos has kicked his dad out a few times, but um, but no, I just think it was interesting to see how he problem solved and found a way. But it was um, a bit scary again. Just on that, I did enjoy in the United Cup. I was watching a bit of uh, Germany, and Misha Zverev is captain. And, you know, he was, he was co- obviously coaching and giving advice to Sasha Zverev. And I'm like, mm. what could Misha Zverev tell his brother, his, his better tennis playing brother, Sasha Zverev, um, about playing tennis on the tennis court? Um, well, Petros Tsitsipas was the Greek captain. So <laughs> I think that makes Misha uh, Zverev look particularly qualified. Um, so a bit of nepotism in that going on there. Yeah. And, and, oh. Yeah, a nepo baby on the tennis court. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, going back to Adelaide, I'm really quite a big fan of the Adelaide event because we have women and men, you know, combined in the same week. So uh, we had the women's event, which was um, actually a 500, not a, not a 250. And Sabalenka, uh, back to winning ways, her first title since May of 2021. Um, we know, we all know about her struggles on serve in tw- 2022, <laughs> but she's back. Uh, it's a novel on it. I know. <laughs> yeah, whole saga there. But um yeah, she was up against Linda Noskova in the final. So one of the one of the young Lindas, uh, which is her first her first tour final. Um a huge breakthrough week for her. But Sabalenka coming out on top straight sets um to get that title over Noskova the qualifier. Um Chris, 
Are you excited that Sabalenka is back to winning ways? Are you are you pleased that she's um kind of getting back to form? Hopefully that the double faults from last season might be a thing of the past. I mean, what, what did you make of her overall performance this week? Well, I think it's great that she's continued the run of form that she had at the end of last season. Um, she did do some um, real damage and in Fort Worth where she was able to, you know, take out Eager. And then obviously she succumbed to Caroline Garcia in the final. Um, she had that semi-final at the US Open. So I think it's, again, we're at this sort of same point with Sabalenka where she does tend to pick up a title at the start of a season and people all sort of make those predictions about an uh, Australian Open result. And for me, I think it's great to see her do this. Um, didn't drop a set. Uh, the numbers were good. She had 12... Um, I think 12 aces, seven double faults, 92% of first serve points won. So that is real progress. Um, But I guess I've still got that question mark of we've all predicted that she maybe was going to get a slam for the last maybe three, four seasons. So for me, I was more impressed with Noskova in this and having that sort of breakout performance because I I kind of expect Sabalenka, a player of her quality, to be able to do this on a more regular basis. Yeah, and I, I was actually surprised that she hadn't won a title in, in like almost yeah. two years, really. So that was um, quite interesting, yeah, for someone of, of her calibre. But yeah, her 11th career singles title. Um, and we'll, we'll see, hopefully we'll see her go deep at, at the AO, as you said, off the back of that US Open um, going deep last year. But talking about Noskova as the finalist, you know, she's still so young. She's only 18 Um She's become the youngest finalist of this level event and the WTA since Caroline Wozniacki back in 2008. So long, long time. Massive week for her. She's into the top 60 in the world rankings now. She got her first uh, wins over top 10 players um, with that bit win over Jabor in the the semi-final. Um, So yeah, really fantastic stuff. I also win over Kazakina. I mean, I, I was lumping her with Linda Fravertova. It's the two Lindas, you know, that they're, they're really. Um, but I think Noskova's kind of edged in front with this, 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 uh, this final performance. Uh, Joel, I know you're a big fan of the Lindas. Are you? Were you particularly pleased for her? I mean, she came through. She came through qualifying. Um, saved. I think she was match point down actually in, in qualifying round one. Um, so to get all the way through to the final was a fantastic effort. I think she just. It's just not very phased, I think, when she she gets onto the court and she plays a really kind of fearless brand of tennis. And I have no, I'm not surprised, you know, we're talking about her, I think, at the moment in in terms of her ranking, in terms of where could she go. I could see her certainly as a future top, top tenner, potentially. And it's going to be really intriguing, I think, to see where her ranking goes this season because I think in this tournament she showed how you know how well she can apply herself I mean the win against Anjabor um you know in the semi-final uh was great and even though you know she dropped that that second set 6-1 as I said I think she's just very unfazed regardless of the situation um you know she you know she finds herself in she plays the big points very very well she did that as well against um you know against Azarenka which was a very tight three setter so um yeah I'm, I'm curious to see how kind of she gets on and uh, arguably it was a bit more of a yeah the story was almost with the top half of her coming coming through the draw than yeah Sabalenka second seed I think making it through to the final and winning 
And a couple of other events. We had Auckland as well, the 250 out of New Zealand. Coco Goff uh, had a very excellent week there, winning without losing a set. Uh, she beat Rebecca Masarova in the final, a Spanish qualifier. Uh, only lost two games, so very dominant uh, performance from Coco this week. Um, Chris, this is Coco's first title on hardcore since 2019. I was quite surprised by that. I know she's won a couple of titles, but I was surprised that it's been such a long time since she's won on a hardcore. That is a big surprise because she's got such a great game for it. And we've seen her play some really, really good tennis on hardcore. So that is a surprise. We do know she loves the clay. She said there's something about Paris. So I think it's great to see that she's putting the results together on different surfaces. I also think um, something that was I was really surprised about with that performance is that that 6161 victory was an hour and 47 minutes. Um Ooh. so I think he was there was there a delay in that match maybe that didn't get picked up but the highlights from that match looked like they were both playing really great tennis. Um and I think Goff it saved a feel... lot of break points I think I read. I think she re- saved like 10 break points. So I think it was a little maybe the scoreline was a little bit unfair. Um, on Master, there were some really long, really long games. All 11 break points were saved. So that is very mm. impressive. Um, Masarova took out um, Sloan. So I feel a bit better that she Your went all favorite. the way through. Mm. Yeah, I think... Um, we felt gonna... for you. Thanks. I mean, I mean she's already lost to, be... to Lauren Davis. Well, Sloan may be 0 from 2, but so is Nadal <laughs> for this season. So let's, um, <laughs> let's keep that one um, in mm. perspective. She'll um, always but be no. a grand slam champion, Chris. Don't worry. Yeah, actually, I can't. If that We're going to the Sloan-Nadal thing. It's one, well, <laughs> one slam versus... Well, I mean, another <laughs> grand slam champion in that draw, who I actually thought gave Coco Goff the toughest test of the week, Sophia Kennan, in on a wild card. Um, all the Kennan fans were like, where's this Where's this tennis been? I've been so, you know, I was so happy to to see her, um, you know, just get out there and, and just compete with, with, with Coco. I know it obviously ended in, in defeat, but again, the, her performance actually was surprised me um, in terms of, yeah, the level she brought. And as I said, to push Goff, who ended up as the champion the way she did, um, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I'm not going to lie, pretty, was pretty surprised by that. Just consider three years ago, Sophia Kennan was winning the Australian Open and now what, she's ranked wild. 228, something like that in the world. Yeah. Joel, you thought she was unranked when we spoke before recording. Which uh, hang on, I'm not, sure not a lot of our listeners had no idea what the, what her ranking was. No, but, we did um, just look that up. To yeah. be fair, it is um, it is sad though that we there are points we talk about. Kennedy needed a wild card. That is probably understandable. Garbina Muguruza needed a wild card for the you know the WTA 500 Adelaide. I'm I'm a bit sad she's got to a point where. Yeah, arguably she's going to have to get wild cards and go into qualifying for these smaller 500 events. Given you know where she you know she was at you know a few a few years mm. ago, you know talking about her being like the end of end of mm. season tour champion um, of of 2021. So um, that is very very. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's very sad to see because she's such a great player, and you do think it is between the years. Mm. Um, I think that Venus Williams should be given every wild card going, whether she needs it or not. Um, because I think it was great to see her play, but unfortunately, a couple of those matches ended in um, injury. So obviously Venus has now pulled out of the Australian Open, which was very sad, but also the Raducanu match was, Mm. that was pretty devastating, wasn't it? I mean, the weather was just a nightmare for this tournament, wasn't it? It just ruined 
a lot of the matches had to play be played indoors and fans can get access it just just sort of brought the occasion down which was a real shame given yeah the number of stars they had in the in a what was quite a packed draw yeah emma Raducanu, you know she had an issue with her left ankle she she sort of mm. blamed it on the slippery court so she had to to withdraw and you know hopefully she'll be okay for the ao but there was there was so much rain. Obviously, Venus also has picked up an injury despite getting mm. getting a win in the first round over Volinet. So, um, real, yeah, a bit of a shame that the weather kind of impacted the tournament so much. However, looking through the draw, I was delighted to see one of the wild cards was um, a Brenda Fruvertiva. I had no idea Linda had a had a little <laughs> sister. So there's two Fruvertivas. Which I thought was quite exciting, but she didn't do very well. She did get thrashed by Layla Annie Fernandez, but um, yeah, exciting to see her name on the draw. Another another tennis sibling uh, kind of <laughs> thing going on there. Budding rivalry. <laughs> uh, she'll be the Czech, uh, you know, United Cup captain in thirty years. We also had the Pune ATP event out in India. So this was a two fifty for the men, and the final we had two first time finalists actually com- competing that one. Talon Griegspor against bon- Benjamin Bonzi, uh, and Griegspor came out on top on that one in three sets. So he outlasted his uh, French opponent to get his first ever ATP Tour title. Um, I think Griegspor very very solid on serve. Um, Bonzi just couldn't quite keep up as the match wore on but yeah great to see you know two new first-time finalists mm. um i saw there was there was a few dutch players in the draw but british van der zandschulp got to the semis he could have made it an all dutch final uh tim van reithoven was also there um but yeah no, good for greek sport bonzi also great week into the top 50 um i think if he'd have won he would have been the French number one, which yeah. Joel is. I know you're always going about French tennis, like you, you love your, your, your <laughs> the death of, of French tennis and all, all the players retiring. Uh, yeah, like Simon, Simon last year, obviously big name. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, for me, it's crazy to think that Benjamin Bonzi. Who knows? By the French Open rolling around, maybe Benjamin Bonzi is going to be the French male number one. Which I, I don't know. If we have any French listeners, what what do you make? What do you make of that? Because that doesn't sound that doesn't sound particularly great to me. That doesn't well, that doesn't John, sound like we're it's entering Manorino. a. Uh, is it Manorino at the moment? Is, Manorino, oh, I mean, yes. is that number I think one and number two for, for France yeah. regularly on the tour at the moment? I don't know when we should have a Fees section is. called "Who Is the French Number One?" Um, <laughs> Caroline Garcia. Yes, yes thank, exactly. thank goodness for French women's tennis. Exactly. Mm. Well, on that bombshell, we'll take a quick break, uh, but do join us in the second half where we'll be discussing the new tennis Netflix series Breakpoint, our Grand Slam predictions for 2023, and also looking forward to the last round of tournaments before the Australian Open gets underway. So do not go anywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Tour Catch-Up Show, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to a par for the courts. Uh, it's back. It's 2023. Uh, Joel, I think you've With got a new sound courts. effects. With, With new sound oh, yes. effects. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what it sounds like when I lose now. <laughs> uh, Chris, you normally win, so I don't True. know about okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to hear the new winner sound. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, this is a par for the courts. This is a back and forth edition of Path for the Courts. And the topic I have for you both, we didn't we didn't really do an awards episode last season, so I'm actually throwing it back. And this concerns the WTA awards and all the players who have won the player of the year award um, as part of the WTA awards since 1977, which was the first ever edition of the WTA Awards. Uh, I think there are 22 players in total who have won this award up to the end right. of last year. And I am going to say, who who shall kick off the new season? I know I'm going to start with, I think we're going to start with Chris, because I, th- I think this is good territory uh, for him. Mm. But yeah, 22 players have been player of the year um, since 1977 on the WTA circuit. Chris, what is your first answer going to be? Ash Barty. Correct. Serena Williams. Correct. Seven-time uh, recipient of Player of the Year. Venus Williams. Correct. Yes, year 2000. Simona Hallett. Correct. 2018. Uh, Steffi Graf. Yes. An eight-time winner. Uh, Last time to do it was 1996. Lindsay Davenport. Very good. Correct. 1998 and 1999. Martina Hingis. Correct. Just before Lindsay Davenport in 1997. Justine Ennan. Correct. Yes. A two-time Player of the Year recipient. Um, Martina Navratilova. Correct. Yes. On the list. Chris Evert. Correct. Yes. 1981. This is getting tricky. Um... Because we've had quite a lot of slam winners who've just won the one in the year, but I'm going to go Sharapova. That is correct. Yes, on the list, 2004. (sighs) Still some big names you've not mentioned. That's sort of surprising me, but yes. Kim? Um, um, I'm struggling now. Amelie Maresmo. (laughs) Yes, on the list, 2006. It's been down French tennis. Ooh, okay. <laughs> um, it is getting tense now. I am 
Have we said um, Angie Kerber? Oh, yeah, that would be a good one. Angelique Kerber is a correct answer. Yes, 2016. How about... Oh, do I say this person? Garbina Muguruza? Is there any space for her? Oh, Kim. Garbina oh. Muguruza <laughs> is a correct answer. Yes, oh, the year I after Angie Kerber, she wasn't gonna be there. 2017. Unbelievable right. to think, given the, the state of the situation today. Mm. That is a bit shocking. Um, <laughs> I I think I'm going to have to go... I don't know if we've said this already, so I might get the the, the new noise, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it Kim's namesake, Kim Kleisters. Correct answer, 2005. Now I'm really out, Kim. <laughs> uh, well, I think it's, we're going on to like players that would only have gone it, done it like for one year now. Um, Caroline Wozniacki? Oh, that's a good one. Caroline Wozniacki, Kim... Incorrect answer. Oh, no. That is that doesn't seem did right. Not win player oh, of the year. So she was very. Consistent. I mean, some things just stay the same. And Chris, you are the winner of par for the courts this week. Um, yeah, Caroline we needed Wozniacki, the off season for not just to get our stress list. levels down. So yeah, you you did pretty well between you. But any any other any other guesses you you had up your sleeves? I was thinking of Sellers and Capriati. Either of them. So if you had said Monica Sellers or Jennifer Capriati, Kim, they both were correct. Oh, as, yeah. as if so, I forgot that. That is a shocking yeah. one. What about mm. um, who won it in 2020? Well, you could have told me Sophia Kennan, who won it in 2020. No. Oh. And surprisingly, no one said Iga Schwiltek, 2022. Well, I, was, I was thinking I we about her. her. I thought we weren't. Yeah, I was, yeah. I was debating. Anyway. Well, well, <laughs> yeah. And also you could have had Virginia Wade in 1977. Oh, oh, wow. That... Yeah. And Tracy Austin in 1980. Uh... So that was your complete list. So Virginia Wade, Martina Navratilova, Tracy Austin, Chris Evert, Steffi Graf, Monica Sellers, Martina Hingis, Davenport, Venus Williams, Capriati, Serena Williams, Enan Sharapova, Kleisters, Moresmo, oh, Petra Kvitova, sorry, my, beg, beg oh, really? my pardon, in 2011, um, Kerber, Muguruza, Halep, Barty, Kenin, Schwiontek. Well, we didn't do too badly, Kim. No, I think between <laughs> us, we were actually, that's one of our most successful, and I think it was one of my more thought provoking. I really <laughs> love these, I do have to rack my brain, so thank you, Joel, for bringing another excellent edition of Part of the Courts to Tennis Weekly. Um, we now have another edition of the Tennis Weekly Mailbag and big thanks to Luke who got in touch via Twitter to ask us with it being the new season, who are we all predicting to be our ATP and WTA Grand Slam champions this year and end of season number ones? So thank you, Luke. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for your question. Um, gosh, who wants to kick off with these and <laughs> potentially risk embarrassment uh, by sending Chris is, your Chris is definitely risking embarrassment, I think, I'm, from I've, his answers. I'm way more embarrassing. Um, <laughs> well, go, because go, as we were talking, then, yeah, yeah go, I'll make you both feel it. a lot better. Because um, as we were talking, I did forget that Djokovic is actually not allowed to play the US Open. So he is... Um, is he not? Very much. Oh, yeah. It, 
Perfect. Yeah, so I had him down for that mm. one. So um, that is a little bit embarrassing. But having said that, um, people regularly put Sabalenka down to win the Australian Open. I'm making that exact same um, mistake. And I was tossing up Ooh. for this one, but I've got Djokovic and Sabalenka for the AO. Um, I'm never going to not stick with Krajikova for Roland Garros. Last time <laughs> I did predict she would get to the final and she'd lost in the first round because she hadn't played all season. Um, but Krajikova and Holger Rune, I'm going to say, for Roland Garros. Oh, okay. We'll have a breakout victory. Uh, for Wimbledon, I've gone for Yannick Sinner and Caroline Garcia. Mm. And then the US Garcia? Open. Garcia? Ha- Sorry, yes. I was slightly slow. For Wimbledon, yes. Garcia, oh, can you Great imagine? Great grass court player. Uh, well... It gets better, Kim. US Open, I've gone for Djokovic, who currently is not allowed in the country, and Belinda <laughs> Bencic, who um, no. I think okay. I have indeed. Year end number ones, Djokovic and Caroline Garcia. The prophecy wow. will be realised. Oh, it's a prophecy now, not <laughs> a Is it the prophecy now? Okay, right. Glad we've cleared <laughs> that up. It's new word for 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Andy hatred. Murray prophecy <laughs> to yes. be world number one. Oh, of yes. course. That yes, is that yes. is genuinely got to happen. I'm not calling Andy it Murray the prophecy, prophecy right? the resurgence okay. of Caroline Garcia. Right, move over <laughs> right. Renaissance. Prophecy we... is now in for 2023. Oh yeah, the Renaissance <laughs> was complete, no? We, should we, we set that? up a... Um, yeah, it was complete when she won the tour finals. Mm-hmm. I think we should set up a new podcast just for Caroline Garcia uh, fans. <laughs> yeah. uh, right, Joel, would you like to share your predictions for us? Yeah, I- I've gone... Mine's a bit more boring, I think. I've gone, <laughs> I've gone Djokovic for Australian Open, French Open and Wimbledon. Right, okay. Um, I just think he's in a class of his own, dare I say, at the moment. Um, I've got Jesse Pagula winning the Australian Open. Um, I think that victory over Shiontek's done her a world of good, and I think mm-hmm. she's looking really, really smart at the moment. French Open, I've got Igor Shiontek. Wimbledon, Onjabor, who I think is mm-hmm. going to going to do one better than than last year when she reached the final and then us open i'm going daniel medvedev and Igor fiontek with my end of season number ones novak Djokovic and Igor fiontek i know novak Djokovic, i still think will be sort of limited by number of events he can play but i still think he we will see him uh get back to yeah world number one i think Mm, i've gone very similar to you joel you went for two eagers winning and an eager number one and i went for none just realised that. Mm. Wow. I think this. this well, you can't probably... win when Garcia's on tour, can you? So. So true. <laughs> Sorry, Kim. <laughs> um, I've gone for Novak and Jesse Pagula for AO as well, Joel. So we're actually in alignment okay. there. Uh, Roland Garros, I've gone for Novak. Um, and Iga as well. Um, oh my obviously, I'm, I know I've not predicted Rafa, but I'm hoping that's just me, like not. You, you know, I'm hoping obviously that doesn't happen. Um, that, you know, Rafa does win. Um, 15 could be on the cards, but that would be going some. Um, Wimbledon, Novak again. Uh, and I've gone for Ludmilla Samsonova to win Ooh. that one. You um, always love one curveball in these, I think, Kim. Yeah, and Grass like Court it. gives the curve, curveball. Yeah. And I'm mm. sure she had good form on a Grass Court a few years ago. Um, well, I mean, Kim, that's, t- that's telling me that you think Russians will be allowed. Well, Mm. at Wimbledon 2023 which we don't we don't know yet I think they'll be allowed and I think one of them will win as a sort of ironic twist um <laughs> but do you know what Sam Sonova's grown up a lot in Italy surely she might be able to transfer her 
I don't okay. know if she'd be able for the to grass go. court season. Just, yeah, you know, just for the grass, yeah. <laughs> or Kazakhstan, that's one oh, way to win Wimbledon. Italian yeah. now. <laughs> um, and US Open, I, I forgot that Djokovic wasn't able to play, but I hadn't picked him anyway. I've gone for Sasha Zverev and Arena Sabalenka. Ah, so okay. and my number ones are Novak and Iga. Um, but I think Svante will only just be number one because she's got so many points to, mm. to potentially lose this year. But she's so far ahead, I still think she's going to cling on to it. So, um, yeah. Listeners, uh, in 11 months' time, you can play this episode back and laugh at everything we've just said. Um, <laughs> Please <laughs> but, forget uh, it all now. Yeah, great question from Luke. Thanks so much for getting in touch. And don't forget, you can all um, let us know your questions by tweeting us, emailing us, etc., um, with your questions for the mailbag. Um, and before we wrap up today, a couple of things we do want to mention, actually, because it's very pertinent. Um, very excitingly, on the 13th of January, we've finally got the Netflix series that we've been alluding to and that we've all mm. been hearing rumours about. Um, it's 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 going to be live on Netflix. Um, the first five episodes are going to be um, released on the 13th um, to cover the first half of the season. So AO, Roland Garros, etc. cetera. Um, are you both looking forward to this? Are you are you setting a reminder for, for Friday to, to start binge watching, uh, you know, when you wake up? Or are you just a bit like, ah, whatever, this won't give us anything new. We, we, we know what they're going to talk about already. What, what's your views on this? Chris, are you are you um are you excited? Wow. I watched the trailer and I have to say I am not excited. Really? Um, okay. Oh, that's cutting. I just don't think it's for me, and I think it's um it's for people who don't know no, anything about, about tennis. tennis. That's mm. kind of what I think it is because yeah. I think some of the the casting and the way they've done it. I mean, obviously, it seems like um that Kyrgios is going to feature very heavily, as is Kokonakis. Yeah. I think that's slightly surprising to me, especially given the controversy that's still around Kyrgios right now and the lawsuit he's currently facing. Um, I think they've obviously taken a big sort of, uh, well, leap of faith with with him featuring so heavily. I mean, it does look a bit like the Kyrgios show. Admittedly, he is an interesting character, but um, I do think that there's, I'm a bit saddened by the fact that... Um, that he is the focus. I know he sells tickets, but I think um, that's my my feeling there because they have tried to paint him out. I think the line above his picture is who will fill, you know, the next greats and mm. Kyrgios is almost 30. <laughs> so I think it might be uh, Carlos actually, you know, or it might be Holger or it might be some of these other players. So I guess it's, I, I mean, I've been a bit cutting, but um I would have liked to have seen a few other players be a bit more prominent in the trailer, but maybe it is a trailer and trailers don't always um, tell you exactly what happens in, in the film. So um, I'm hoping for that. Mm. I didn't realize it was going to be like focusing on kind of the, the up and coming sort of next gen or the, the, the players that, you know, they were sort of earmarking as taking over from the, you know, the big three or what have you. Um, I, so I've sort of, I didn't realize, I guess I can't cover everyone, but I didn't realize it was only going to be like a select cohort. But I, I, mm. it'd be interesting to watch players like FAA and I don't know, basically everyone but Kyrgios. Yeah, I don't really want to watch a whole series about Kyrgios. Same. Um, so I'm kind of hoping they don't, that they do fairly balance it out, but they know that Kyrgios, I guess, sells. So. I don't know, Joel. You're you're a bit more of a curious. Um, yeah, partial, I, you? So I, I, I will. Yeah, no, I I will be 
watching it um i'm curious to know what i'm gonna get from it what am i gonna learn from it i think you know this is a great opportunity as you said to kind of showcase and add a bit i think more personality to to some of these players that you know we see so much on a, on a tennis court and whether you know focus on that more human stuff off the court um i think is going to be really really eye-opening um, I think we know a lot of that, I think, with with Nick Kyrgios already. And I think that I think is what's so kind of divisive, because I think it's like quite obvious that that is can be seen as entertainment and it gets a lot of people talking. But actually, I'm more curious about players that I know. I feel like I know a lot or I see play a lot on, on a tennis court. Um, but do I really know them off the court? probably not so much and you know their personalities out there I think like you know like Onzia Bohr on the women's side who I think is so charismatic and and I love you know how she presents herself in interviews and I think it could be you know really interesting to see you know how you know it, it comes across um, but I do think you know this is you know maybe aimed at an audience that is more kind of like you know outside of the world of tennis and getting them interested in a way that's not oh, here's tennis on a tennis court. And, you know, it's almost like an alternative route into being interested in tennis. You know, that's that's kind of the, the strategy that worked with Drive to Survive and, and Formula One, you know, get people interested in the players and then the race has kind of come second. And I wonder if it's going to work in that way for, mm. for tennis. Um, we'll have to wait and see. I think you're definitely right that it's those stories that are behind mm. it. Like I... Paula uh, Bedosa, she mentioned how hard it is mentally. You know, mm. I think it's interesting to see some of the players who aren't getting the results and what it is, what life is like on the tour, as well as some of the success stories. Um, I do think the alternative working title should have been Breakpoint, the Sabalenka double fault story, because she is being <laughs> followed. But yeah. that will be, I'll, I'll tune in for episode one, hopefully, mm. Adelaide and Australian Open last year for Sabalenka. Mm. Isn't there a film called Breakpoint about surfing? Yeah, it's a bit I... of a generic-ish name, isn't it? Um... Yeah, so it makes me think of that, to be honest with you. And I'm, I, I feel like they could have done better on the on the name, but um, mm. I don't know. Well, we'll see. Well, we're no doubt going to be talking a little bit about it once it comes out and and seeing what the reaction is. It's interesting. It's coming out during the Australian Open, so I have no doubt during the earlier rounds when all these big players are going through formulaic three set victories the focus is going to quickly turn to uh, to two break points so we'll have to wait and see uh, yeah how it how it unfolds well one player who may have time on his hands to watch breakpoint because he's not at the Australian Open is Carlos Alcaraz who is still out uh, with injury um you know, we very much expect him to be back at some point. But interestingly, none of us have actually put him in our predictions for a slam win this year. So perhaps we're already envisaging some, you know, uh, season difficulties, but we hope he's back soon. Um, another player we don't have at the Australian Open is also Naomi Osaka, um, who's gone very silent on on social media. We, we haven't seen her play since September. Um Chris, are you um, thinking that this might be more of a permanent uh, withdrawal from from the tour, from from tennis? Do you think Osaka's had her day? Well, I think she's had an awful lot of success, um, both on and off the court. And so I think none of us were necessarily thinking that she would be in Australia because we hadn't seen her name on, we had seen it on the entry list, but we hadn't seen any noise of her playing or any clips of her playing or any clips of her training. Like she tends to, to sometimes share. Um, she did say that she had the itch to play tennis uh, end of last year, but the commitment required, I think it reached a point where 
when you've achieved so much, it might not necessarily be worth it for you. And if you're finding joy off the court, I do probably think this could become something more permanent because when you think about it, Australia has been such a successful uh, tournament Mm. for her. And what's she going to do? Pop up in Miami again, which didn't really work. She got to the final, Mm. but then it didn't really continue past that. She's unlikely to play on clay um, as her comeback and she's not necessarily a big, a big fan of the grass. So you can't not see this as a sign that she is moving away from tennis. Um, But she is 25. There's lots of time left. Uh, But I do think that you have to really, really want it um, to put in the hours and to, to be on the court and, I think right now it probably doesn't seem like it's worthwhile for her. No. And what's what's amazing is last year she was highest paid female athlete. She made $51 million and only wow. $1 million of that um, was in win prize money. Um, so Miami pays well. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's, I feel like, you know, she's obviously set kind of, I feel financially. It's interesting. I keep reading about her management company. I think they've just signed up on Jabor. So there's obviously things going on in her portfolio. And I think the more and more noise we hear from those sorts of um, circles and less about Naomi Osaka on the tennis court, I think is, you know, is, is, is worrying to be honest. I think it's a sad sign for tennis, but you know, we're moving into these times, I think where there mm. is greater flexibility, there's different priorities. And we're seeing that on the, on the women's circuit, you know, Ash Barty, yeah stopped what we thought you know was at the peak of her career and is is you know going to going to have a baby you announced her a pregnancy um last week mm. so it's it's understandable but i think it's going to be a great shame yeah. for tennis if 2023 does turn out to be the year that naomi osaka leaves the sport for good but finding happiness doesn't have to happen on the tennis court i think we're seeing now mm. for lots of these players and she's had some great success and you know i think it's exactly what you've said Ash Barty probably maybe had some sort of an impact on some of Osaka's thinking, seeing just how happy she was stepping away from the pressures of the sport. Mm. And I think that's what the Breakpoint documentary, some of the reviews that I've seen mm. have said, it really does show how isolating and, and lonely, you know, life on the, the tour is. And hence, you know, this is all part and parcel mm. of that. But um, going back to tennis in the here and now, um, coming up in the next week, we've got uh, even more tournaments. Uh, we've got Auckland uh, for the men, the 250. Casper Ruud is the top seed. Cam Norrie is playing it. Obviously, kind of a second home for him, isn't it, in Auckland. Uh, we've got Adelaide 2 uh, for the men and women. I've forgotten they named them 1 and 2. I love it. Um, Caroline Garcia is in action. That's my highlight of the week, I have to say. Um, as in, you know, seeing what she does in Adelaide. And we've got Hobart as well for the WTA. Kim, you mean you're not interested in the arena showdown practice match between Nick Kyrgios and Novak Djokovic, which is happening on Friday at the uh, the Rod Laver arena that the uh, the Australian Open has ticketed at, at $20 for a practice match, which certainly caught my eye um, as a trend that I feel started last season. And I get pro- it's probably due to the pandemic and all these events need to make as much money as possible. But charging for practice matches, I mean, come on. That is a bit much, I think. And calling it a showdown, the, the way they're marketing it. Mm. Um, I mean, I hope the money goes to charity because that's a bit of a... Same. It must go to charity, surely. Surely. Because they mm. do Kids Day and that, I think that goes to charity. And I did that one year and I wouldn't do it again because the mm. screaming children <laughs> got on my nerves. This is like, so adults, I, this is like adults, adults Kids Day, day isn't it? It's Adults, <laughs> it's adults Kids, kids day. day. Uh 
Is six thirty? Is that too early for people to turn up drunk? Because um, I feel like the sort of audience they <laughs> Another might Another lawsuit pending. <laughs> well, how many drinks? Seven hundred drinks. Yeah, yeah it's, it's lower Kyrgios. the estimate. Kyrgios. Have Seven go. drinks. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. Maybe. I mean, are they streaming that? Maybe you could. Uh, mm. Yeah, I think gonna... it is actually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. God, I, I might not tune in. I'll we'll watch Breakpoint instead. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but that does bring us to a close for um, our first catch-up of the year, um, and what a catch-up it's been. Yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our first episode of the new season of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come down under on the WTA and ATB tours with the Australian Open to come very, very soon. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. Uh, you can email us at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we are going to be back on Thursday. No rest for us at Tennis Weekly HQ. We're going to be doing a draw preview episode for the Australian Open. We're going to have all the favourites in there, collect a set. We'll be back. We'll be making some predictions as well. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.